Um, well, welcome. I'm Mike Wardle, Head of Indices at ZN. Um, it gives us great pleasure to be with you to launch the Global Green Finance Index uh, 6, um, the sixth edition of the index, which tracks uh, the development of green finance in financial centres across the world. In terms of our agenda this morning, um, I'm going to pass over in a moment to Professor Michael Manelli, our Executive Chairman, to give a brief welcome and introduction. Um, then I'll go through the uh, headline results of GGFI 6, um, ask Michael to add a commentary on some of the key themes which are around uh, coming out of the index research, and then we'll have some time for questions uh, towards the end of the session. Um, and please, if you wish to ask a question, you can do so at any time during the broadcast uh, by using the uh, question button. Uh, in the dashboard on the GoToWebinar site, which should be at the side of your screen. You can go in there and type in a question, uh, and we'll pick up those questions for uh, discussion uh, at the end of the session. Uh, very briefly then, to introduce uh, Michael Manelli, our Executive Chairman, who's going to uh, introduce the concept uh, of you know, the, the development of green finance in the city and the GGFI. Thank you very much, uh, Mike, and good morning to all of you around the world. I notice we've got uh, quite an eclectic group of people up uh, in the early mornings or middle of the night as well. It's a rainy nine o'clock here in London uh, and an ideal day to launch an index, I think. Uh, I'd just like to say a few words, really, uh, about the story so far. It's sometimes remarked that uh, people in financial services have had little interest in the environment and I pulled together this timeline, which points out not just the complexity of involvement that people in financial services have had with the environmental, social and governance movements of various forms, uh, but also the length of time just on climate change alone. You can see here that the City of London Corporation passed a local clean air directive in 1953, leading to the Clean Air Act of 1956. We've had the World Business Council for Sustainable Development, the Carbon Disclosure Project. Uh, the City of London was instrumental in 99 to 2005 in the formation of the European Emissions Trading Scheme. And we uh, here at Zien, as well as the City of London Corporation and Gresham College, were heavily involved from 2005 to 2008 in the creation of the London Accord, which continues today. Uh, we've seen as well the uh, pushing of policy performance bonds back as uh, long ago as 2009, that was the COP in Copenhagen, uh, all the way through to the formation of the Green Finance Institute, and of course, our Global Green Financial Center indices. So on the Global Green Finance Index, uh, you know, where did it come from uh, and uh, wh why are we doing it? Well, uh, the Green Finance Index really began as an idea which met up with the MAVA Foundation in Switzerland, and with some assistance from Finance Watch, we launched it in 2018, but actually ran a number of webinars uh, all, over, all over the world uh, in 2017 to try and establish what should be contained within such an index and how should it measure things. Uh, the original one, which uh, was launched uh, in 2018, included 47 centers. Today, you'll note that we have 74 centers, and by way of comparison, the Global Financial Centers Index, uh, sort of our flagship in this space, is tracking 111 centers uh, at the moment. So it'd be good to see this uh, trend continue and uh, rise from 74, uh, another 30 plus, and get ourselves into 111 centers, all caring about green finance. 
So what is GGFI intended to do? Well, there are many indices around, but the idea here is to look at it from a financial center perspective rather than say an asset manager or investment manager's perspective and to encourage financial centers to enhance the range and depth of their green finance offering. Of course, some of this involves them really walking the talk. So because it is a center, we also anticipate uh, that they're living what, what they talk about in terms of local uh, renewable energy, energy savings, carbon targets, etc. We want to showcase the best practice in green finance. This is definitely an emerging area. And many of you will note that green bonds have come under a lot of criticism as maybe not quite doing what people had hoped that they would. Uh, and there are other ways of handling green finance other than just uh, green bonds. And in fact, to some, uh, in some, in some, to some point, what I would like to see is green finance, believe it or not, disappear. Uh, one of the few things that distinguishes green finance from normal finance is actually policy risk. And finally, we do want to foster a race to the top, and that is definitely what has happened here. So if we have a look around the world, we can see uh, the 74 centers in our index. They're rated here in two categories. Uh, there's the quality uh, and the depth, and Michael will be explaining that in a moment. But uh, welcome to you around the world. We're delighted to have you here today. You'll be seeing already CDAM has started a blast of articles which typically accompany these indices. I believe S&P has an article coming out uh, as we're online here. So there's going to be a lot of coverage of this, and you are here to see the launch firsthand. So, Mike, over to you. Thank you. Uh, it's the story of 2020 um, that uh, we forget to unmute ourselves on occasion uh, on these calls and events. Um, so I'm going to give some uh, details of the results of the index, but first of all, to define a couple of terms. Uh, first of all, um, our focus on financial centers, and we have, um, I think, a very good definition um, from UNEP um, of what a financial center involves or did involve in any case um, up till uh, recently. Um, Cities with an intense concentration of financial activity involving an interlocking set of financial sectors and transactions. And I think there's a, um, an interesting uh, puzzle for us uh, going forward as to what the city means going forward uh, and what a cluster means going forward uh, as we start to work more remotely, potentially, um, as we have done during the year. And the second definitional point is uh, what is green finance? And we take it to refer to any financial instrument or activity which results in positive change. Um, essentially that it contributes to reducing the emission of green, greenhouse gases or um, it may help to protect biodiversity uh, but it has a positive impact on the environment and society. And the GGFI is um, a factor assessment index. Um, this is a, 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 a methodology we use which combines two different sets of data. Uh, first of all assessments uh, we use surveys to ask um, people working in financial services and in particular in green finance in relation to GGFI uh, to rate financial centers in terms of both the uh, depth and the quality of their green finance. First of all, on depth, um, it means how embedded is green finance in the financial services activity of that center, of that place. And on quality is how good is that uh, green finance? Um, is it a place where you can go to and be sure that you have uh, good regulatory systems, good advice, um, you're able to put together 
uh, instruments uh, and financial uh, <coughs> financial uh, instruments, um, which you can be confident in, uh, in, in terms of the quality of the products that you're uh, using. For GGFI 6, we have um, 4,219 individual assessments of the depth and quality of uh, the green finance in financial centers. And uh, that is the first part of the uh, index uh, data, the assessments we receive from individuals. Uh, the second aspect are quantitative measures, uh, which are uh, measures drawn from a whole variety of sources, including the World Bank, including OECD, uh, other data providers, um, which are you know, quantitative measures of how a city, a financial centre, uh, it stacks up against uh, other centres in the index. And we use um, a machine learning algorithm to combine those two sets of data, the assessment data uh, and the instrumental factors, uh, to create the index, and essentially looking at the correlations and relationships between the assessments and the factors. So for GGFI 6, respondents by sector, uh, the interesting thing here, I think, is that we get a good mix um, or by industry sector in terms of the people who complete the uh, GGFI survey. Um, it covers you know, banking, debt capital, equity, capital, insurance, investment. But the point is that I think it's, we've got good coverage uh, across a range of people working in financial services. By region, uh, Western Europe and Asia Pacific both have around about a third uh, of the people who complete the survey uh, that goes into GGFI 6. Um, other regions of the world are represented, but it's, uh, we get a very good uh, response rate uh, from Western Europe and from Asia Pacific. Um, we don't think that this has uh, a particular impact uh, on, the, um, on, on the results. Uh, we can obviously test, um, test that by using particular sets of data uh, to run the model. Just a brief word on instrumental factors. The quantitative data set, these 135 data measures that we use, are grouped in four areas of competitiveness, sustainability, infrastructure, human capital, and business. Uh, each of the 135 instrumental factors can be correlated against the index results. And the table uh, you see on the screen shows the highest correlated factors um, with the GGFI in terms both of the depth and the quality measure. The, it, 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 there are some interesting uh, findings here that water quality um, comes very high, actually, in terms of correlation with the index. Um, others that score high, the Global Innovation Index, the World Talent Ranking, suggesting there's something about uh, human capital which is very important uh, in terms of the uh, depth and quality of green finance in a particular center. Uh, and other measures such as the Cities in Motion Index uh, or the Sustainable Cities Index, um, which look at in particular um, a, a range of measures which demonstrate how good a place is as a place uh, to live and work, um, and in particular focus on sustainability. In terms of headlines for GGFI 6, first of all, um, Amsterdam retained its leading position in the depth index, has been consistently there, uh, while Zurich has risen to second place. In the quality measure, these positions are reversed, with Zurich leading uh, and Amsterdam second. Um, I'll come on to the quality index in just a moment. San Francisco was the leading center outside Western Europe. It ranked seventh for depth and equal tenth for quality. Uh, new entrant Helsinki uh, performed very strongly. It ranked 19th equal for depth and 12th for quality. Um, and a really important point here that very narrow margins 
uh, separate centres at the top of the tables. Among the top 10 centres, the spread of ratings is about 30 out of 1,000 uh, for depth um, and 43 for quality. Um, so there's narrow margins separating um, the uh, top centres uh, and they can easily shift in the rankings quite quickly. In terms of the headlines on depth, um, I've mentioned Amsterdam and Zurich, um, but the key issue I think here is that uh, all centres uh, increase their ratings. And this is true throughout the uh, index, uh, all the way through, both for depth and quality, that the ratings have improved, which suggests that there um, is greater confidence in green finance uh, than there has been in previous editions of the index. And just to say on depth that San Francisco, uh, at the top of the table, rose nine ranking places to come seventh. Uh, San Francisco uh, is seen very much as doing well at the moment uh, in terms of its green finance. In terms of the quality, I mentioned that Zurich and Amsterdam um, had taken the top two ranking places. And just noting that London has dropped uh, from its uh, first place position uh, in each edition of the index for quality up till now. And as we indicated in the GGFI 5 report, um, there were already indications that other centers were uh, catching up and could overtake London for quality. Uh, and this has come to pass. Um, so ag again, while uh, there's you know, close rankings between the, the centers. Um, you know, it does show that there is um, dynamic movement in the index um, and that people can't rest on their laurels. Um, you know, other people, even if you are improving, uh, may be improving faster than you are. We can look at the correlation between the depth ratings and quality ratings uh, across the index. And if you track the depth and quality, the, uh, there's quite a strong correlation uh, between the measures of depth and quality. Uh, the point here is, though, that um, some well-established centers in terms of financial services generally um, are seen as better for quality than depth, whether that's New York, London, uh, Munich, uh, Guernsey, Jersey. Um, we suggest that there is room for um, specialist centers or niche centers um, who put a lot of effort into uh, green finance um, to lead the way for depth. Um, and you say, see places like San Francisco, uh, Los Angeles, um, you know, taking a lead uh, on that measure. <clears throat> Going on to the um, sustainability factor rankings. Um, one of the tests we do of the data is to um, produce the normal index, which uses all of the 135 instrumental factors and then run the model again using only the uh, instrumental factors that relate specifically um, to sustainability. Um, and where we just run the index with sustainability factors, uh, Montreal, for example, uh, scores higher for both depth and quality, uh, moving up from you know, 15th place, um, 15th equal in depth up to uh, 13th. Um, other centers, also Helsinki and Washington, gave five or more places for depth when we just use the sustainability measures Brussels, Singapore, and Frankfurt gain five or more places for quality. Um, it just shows, and if you read the, the full report, you'll find that we can also uh, use the other areas of competitiveness, whether it's human capital or infrastructure, to do similar analysis um, and provide alternative rankings, showing where centers' strengths and weaknesses are. <coughs> Going on to leading centers for depth, um, just showing you the, 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 the history of this, 
Um, you'll notice that the top five sensors actually have tracked each other's movements very closely. The shape of the line is very similar for both. And as I've mentioned before, very close margins separate um, centers at the top of the index. Um, similarly, on quality, again, the shape of the index um, line is similar, um, but there you'll see um, Zurich and Amsterdam overtaking London between GGFI uh, 5 and 6. And just say Oslo is a relative new in, in, entrance to the index performed very strongly, and generally Scandinavian centers um, punch above their weight in terms of green finance. Going on to <coughs> headlines uh, for each of the regions around the world. Uh, first of all, uh, looking at Western Europe, the, the message here is that Western Europe continues to dominate the top of the index. It has nine centers ranked in the top 10 for both depth and quality. Um, this goes back to something that Michael mentioned, <coughs> that green finance is a, a policy-led area of finance um, and subject to uh, risk from policy stability. Um, but the leading role that uh, European governments and the EU has taken in terms of driving policy on green finance um, shows up in the uh, index results. Moving on to Asia-Pacific, um, there's now 19 Asia-Pacific centers featuring in the GGFI. Wellington, Osaka, Qingdao, and Gift City Gujarat have entered in this edition. Um, Sydney has taken a bit of a fall in the rankings from first to third in the region for both depth and quality, uh, with Shanghai now leading for depth and Tokyo leading for quality in the region. And I think this shows again that um, you know, centers uh, in many parts of the world, including now in Asia-Pacific, are starting to take green finance very seriously um, and are doing more um, and paying more attention to the quality of what's being done. <coughs> Going on to North America, uh, in this edition of the index, uh, we see that um, to US centers <coughs> have gained ground on Canadian centers uh, in the in the GGFI. Um, they have been lagging behind uh, in previous editions, and we'll remain to see whether this is a trend that continues. Uh, San Francisco has taken over the top uh, place for uh, depth, uh, but continued to lead the region for quality, and now features in the top 10 globally in both rankings. So San Francisco, I think, uh, certainly a place to watch. Looking at Eastern Europe and Central Asia, um, all centers in the region fell in the rankings uh, for both depth and quality. Um, just remembering that their ratings still continue to rise, it's just other people uh, are improving faster. Um, Prague continued to lead the region for depth, but fell substantially in the quality measure, uh, with Istanbul taking the leading place for quality uh, in the region in GGFI 6. Looking at Latin America and the Caribbean, uh, all centers again fall in the rankings for depth and quality, with other centers overtaking. Uh, Sao Paulo retained its leading position for depth in the region, um, but has been overtaken by both the Cayman Islands and British Virgin Islands uh, in the quality measure. Um, and so, again, uh, showing that you know, within a region, uh, there's quite a lot of movement and dynamism in, in the market. In Middle East and Africa, uh, Casablanca maintained its position as the leading center in the region um, and you know, very much has put effort uh, into its green finance offering uh, as a gateway to, to Africa. Um, Tel Aviv held on to second place for quality, but Mauritius has taken second place for depth. And uh, again, you know, there's, there's a reasonable gap there between Casablanca as the leading center of the region uh, and those that come second for both depth and quality. So, by way of some conclusions, um, 
as we've mentioned, green finance remains a policy-led field. Uh, policy and regulatory frameworks continue to be cited as the most important driver of green finance, um, and that's an important uh, thing to understand um, when wanting to grow your green finance business. There's growing confidence in the development of green finance across all regions, shown by the increase in ratings across centres. Uh, green cities do well, where a centre is focused on sustainability across the board. People can see um, that it is a good um, place to live in terms of its green policies. Uh, green finance is also strong. And long-established centres with a history of fossil fuel financing tend to first fare worse for depth and quality. Uh, Michael have, I think, some a few more comments to say uh, about that. Now, we'd like to ask you a question uh, as part of the event, um, and we'd like to ask you to complete a very quick poll online. Um, and so I'm just uh, opening up the poll at the moment and asking you to um, asking you if you would to fill in the results. So I can see that people are clicking for their favorites at the moment. So just looking at the, the, the results that we have. So 37% of this audience uh, believe that regulation and public policy, so 34% regulation and public policy um, take the uh, key place. 24% uh, think that climate and biodiversity change are the most important factors. 17% um, for profit, 14% consumer demand, 10% disinvestment from carbon. And so that um, is a quick snapshot of what this audience at least think. Um, and I'll be able to ask uh, Michael uh, to take over now and to um, <clears throat> give us a commentary uh, on, on what we take from the index. Over to you, Michael. Thank you very much, Mike. Um, what I'd, I'd like to do, if I could, is just to show you, if I could, so the leading financial centers and uh, what's very much on their mind. Uh, one of the things you'll notice over the course of this index uh, over the last three years has been the attention that's been paid to green. We've been here before. Green was a big topic, uh, believe it or not, in the uh, 80s, uh, in the early 90s, uh, just before the financial crisis uh, uh, that started around 2007. And now in uh, 2020, it's very clearly back on the charts. We go around the world looking at financial centers and business centers in the round because we also look at technology as much as we do finance. And it is clear that green is one of the top three or four strategies. Everybody would like to do something on intelligence and knowledge, on fintech and green and a couple of other subjects. So green is way up there as a standard strategic move uh, really over the last four or five years. We can see centers such as Casablanca, Moving forward in Africa, we can see centers such as Astana, uh, now Nur Sultan and their AIFC. We're very focused on green. We've got countries such as Ireland creating sustainable nation, Ireland uh, in Dublin. So uh, it's, it's a big, hot topic. We've also seen, as Mike showed you in the leading centers, a rise from circa 400 points, which is particularly low, 
uh, on up to 550 points now for the top five centers. That's a tremendous improvement in three years, uh, really 150 points. So it's, it is a, a hot topic, uh, possibly. We could make a few jokes about that, but, uh, but I won't. Um, what's also interesting as you look at this slide is that a couple of laggards uh, in the top 10 uh, financial centers globally uh, really do stand out. New York uh, in particular, uh, Hong Kong uh, and Singapore uh, really not doing uh, particularly well in this sector yet. I am conscious that two of those three, uh, Hong Kong and Singapore, are equally committed to green finance. And so we expect to see them surge. What's interesting is it's been taken till this sixth edition uh, for London as one of the top centers to be a uh, top 10 centers to be accompanied by other members of the top 10 in the global financial centers index. And those two are Zurich and San Francisco. So uh, it, it is a very, very exciting area at the moment. Um, if I could, Mike, I'd just like to move on to, you know, what's on practitioners' minds. Well, very clearly on your minds was regulation and public policy. Uh, and just hold on to that for a moment, if I might. If I might. I've got three slides here uh, looking at impact, interesting areas, and what are the drivers. Uh, this slide here on impact uh, shows a more balanced view. Uh, GGFI 1 is the dotted line. GGFI 6 is the solid, uh, bold, purple line. And what you can see is a fairly rounded picture of green finance and that all of these factors uh, play some some sort of a role uh, but that's a quite a change uh, from ggfi1 when people were very focused on sustainable infrastructure finance renewable energy investment and green bonds and i'll come back to green bonds in a minute this next slide looks at the most interesting areas of green finance and again uh, sustainable infrastructure finance has dropped green bonds have dropped and renewable energy investment have dropped uh, to provide a more balanced picture. Although I might note, uh, if you would, two areas where people are not convinced that they're that interesting are carbon disclosure and natural capital valuation, both areas which are trying to inject the information component almost from the side. And this final slide uh, of what's on people's minds looks at the drivers of green finance. Now, this audience uh, is feels, I think, very much like the practitioners and respondents do, uh, that regulation and policy frameworks are, are really crucial in the sector. And, and arguably, that is the one thing that distinguishes green finance from other finance. I, I don't have many other characteristics. We don't talk about, for example, mining finance. Uh, we don't talk about airplane finance, uh, at least in the in the general sense. Why is this sector special? And the specialty, sadly, derives from its intense dependency on policy and regulatory frameworks. Uh, and that's clearly something that we want to see changing, and it is changing in the right direction, as you can tell here. But it still remains far and away, both in the audience's mind and in the respondent's mind, as, a, as the one area that matters. Second thing I might point to is the, uh, the, the two areas that have risen. Uh, a little hard to see there that proportionately they've risen remarkably and that is academic research we're, we're seeing a number of initiatives uh the nerc the natural environment research council here in the united kingdom is launching a massive program again because it did the same about 10 years ago to uh, share its data sets with the financial services community we in the london accord are sharing investment research in turn with the academic community 
the risk management frameworks are, are also coming up more highly. And this is where some of the policy and regulatory initiatives are moving into more day-to-day -day practice as the regulators require bankers and insurers to do more stress testing that involves looking ahead at uh, climate change issues. Well, it wouldn't be uh, right to have a webinar these days without a reference to COVID-19. And in this edition of GGFI, we have a supplement, a quite interesting supplement written by Simon Mills with some assistance for the rest of the CN team. And that's looking very much at the Sustainable Development Goals, the UN's 17 goals, which we are all trying to achieve uh, and which is now in its fifth year uh, of 10. COVID-19 has highlighted, I think, some interesting points. The, the first bit is that it's proven that consumer behavior change will not allow us to meet our goals on climate change. Uh, COVID-19 has radically altered uh, commuting patterns, staying at home, consumption patterns, travel patterns, and the drop in emissions is globally circa about 5%. It's brought us back a few years, so to speak. It doesn't mean that behavioral change isn't important, but I think it is a call, uh, a galvanization, if you will, that we really have to do some deep, deep structural, infrastructural changes if we have any hope of meeting carbon net zero by 2050 in the UK or 2060 in China. Uh, second thing I point out is that uh, finance is the great decision-making engine of the planet or one of the great decision-making engines of the planet. Uh, money talks, money walks, money gets things done. And what we see here is that the uh, sustainable development goals are uh, applied, uh, sorry, have a, have a strong dependency uh, in 12 of the 17 on, on financial services delivering. Uh, you could be encouraged or discouraged depending on glass half full, half empty. Uh, I'm going to tell you about a 60-40 glass or a 40-60 glass. And that 40-60 glass is that Supposedly, about 40% of investable assets are covered by sustainable development goal targets or awareness. These are some of the major funds held by Vanguard, BlackRock, uh, what have you. You could equally argue that 60% are therefore not covered and we have a long way to go, particularly as we're trying to achieve these goals at pace. As I say, 10-year goals were five years into them, we've got another five years to go before they're revisited. It's also somewhat um, well, depressing when you look at the actual voting records, though, of those people who are behind uh, supposedly managing these goals. Voting records of some of the bigger players like JP Morgan and BlackRock are weak. Uh, I, I think one can say when you look at their intervention in things like uh, annual general meetings. So, again, more work needs to be done, uh, more than just policies, more than just codes of conduct, more than just uh, PR statements. It's uh, time to get down to the nitty gritty. I'd then like to turn, if I might, uh, to the financial center responses uh, to recovery. Um, I, I always feel a bit awkward when we talk about regulation because I would like green finance to fall naturally into finance as something that we achieve through the removal of externalities, uh, such, such as uh, putting a carbon price uh, on emissions. However, uh, the reality is that we are in a, a point where regulation is required. Uh, regulation has given us quite a supportive regulatory environment. And I do think personally that without the attention uh, that major players such as Mark Carney at the Bank of England uh, paid to forcing financial firms to consider what green issues meant to them, 
we would have we wouldn't have seen some of the progress we've seen uh, in this index over the last uh, three to four years. Innovation, uh, innovation too, gives me a, a little bit of a, a freezing of fear in the sense that there is no magic bullet. Most of the technology that we're going to need to get us out of this uh, unsustainable situation had better already exist. Uh, so it's about putting it together uh, and actually deploying it. But we do need a framework, therefore, that does support experimentation and innovation, and that is not riskless. And so much of the contention in Europe uh, that we see uh, about uh, you know principles of, uh, to do with uncertainty, et cetera, not are going to have to be broken really if we're going to see this type of innovation emerge. And finally, uh, and this is happening, we need more leadership and collaboration, dialogue between the financial centers, between the regulators and the innovators, and between the financial services providers themselves. Uh, one of the things I would stress that that uh, collaboration ought to focus on is simplicity. Uh, there are at the moment uh, getting on for uh, well over 100, 120 uh, different ways of reporting your ESG targets. And, and this itself is unsustainable. Companies are being taken from pillar to post on what they're supposed to adhere to. Uh, should it be FTSE for good? Should, should they be looking at uh, SDP? It's, it's a mess out there. And I think regulators, uh, the time has come uh, in the time available to start narrowing down the number that will be uh, paid attention. Uh, and I think we, we have a lot more work to do on that, particularly on disclosure. And for itself, and one of the things I think sometimes the disclosure community uh, forgets is that disclosure should be a transitory step on the path to full embedding of principles in the way that companies and the markets and the prices act. So um, let's uh, let's sum that up, if I might, and we'll move into discussion. Where do we stand? Uh, well, the first thing is that uh, financial centers are looking to the future, and they are looking to that through investment in sustainability, but also in technology. We will be covering a lot of that in the Smart Centers Index, which is coming out next month. The COVID-19 pandemic has brought this type of innovation to the fore, and that's all to the good, but it's also proven that we've got a very hard road ahead of us in terms of investment. Uh, we at CN are going to continue to track green finance, but also financial centers and also technology uh, through our various indices. And we appreciate you spending some time this morning with us on the launch. And uh, Mike, over to you. Uh, thank you very much, Michael. Um, so th that concludes the presentation part of the uh, webinar, and it's really over to you now uh, in terms of um, addressing some of the questions um, that you uh, placed. Um, a question that I think, Michael, I might put to you to, to start with. Um, do we think, um, Bob McDowell says, um, that there's too much investment trying to chase and identify quality green investment opportunities? Um, so it's that, that, that balance between you know, how much investment there is and how many good opportunities there are. Um, well, Bob, Bob makes a good point. Um, but if you think about it uh, from a kind of a logical perspective, you might anticipate that um, in, in a moving sector, you would hope that more money was chasing fewer opportunities. And hitherto, it's been very much the other way around, uh, say, until uh, eight, nine years ago. Uh, people working on many projects had a dearth of investors. Now, it may well be that at that time, those investments weren't really there. We've seen huge technological change, please don't forget, in areas like 
of wind and solar. So these projects are now much more attractive to individuals. The markets are there. And further, this regulatory push leads a lot of investors to believe that this is the this is probably the trajectory uh, for a large chunk of investment. So I would hope that there were more investors chasing their projects. Uh, Bob wonders if there's some uh, evidence of this. Um, well, certainly I can speak personally that uh, I've got uh, one client who is trying to chase down a lot of solar investment and finding that they're pipped at the post at relatively high prices for solar plants at, at a reasonable scale, you know, well over the kind of the 10 megawatt uh, and upward uh, sort of area. So that's that, that's a good sign. Uh, we've also seen, I think, uh, in the green bond market, uh, a small price premium over the last few years uh, because, again, people are, are seeking it. I might also make a final point, really, which is about the distinction between the consumer and the wholesale markets. The consumer markets, uh, to many, to, in many cases, are driving a lot of the uh, disclosure-based, uh, if I can call it, um, acceptance of green and, and marketing of it. And so there's a, a little bit of pressure there on the various ETFs and funds that are, are pushing that space. The wholesale market tends to be a little bit more hard-nosed. You know, it's nice if you've got it rated, but what, what honestly is this fairly large-scale project going to do that is so green over the next few years? Um, and I'm more encouraged in, in, a, in a way that it's being driven by the wholesale market, a lot of these price increases, rather than uh, just consumer demand, which is largely effectively based on marketing and advertising. Thanks for that. A question of Karina Vaughan um, asking why we think London is slipping down the rankings. Um, and I think the um, issue here is not so much that uh, London is slipping as that other centres are performing very well. Um, and you know, the question is whether this is a trend that will continue. Um, at the moment, we, um, we don't have a crystal ball that will tell us whether it will. I think what it reinforces is that there's great competition between financial centres. Um, to focus on the quality of their green finance, on the debt, on how much green finance takes place. And it needs consistent uh, attention from financial centers, from regulators, from leaders in the, um, in cities, um, to continue, uh, to focus and ensure that there is development and innovation in green finance in the city. Um, so I don't think we can uh, put a crystal ball in place and tell you whether the trend will continue of other centers overtaking London. Um, but certainly we can point to uh, continued competition between financial centers uh, in terms of supporting and generating uh, quality in relation uh, to green finance. Yeah, and uh, you know, Lionel Mock, um, who's uh, dialing in from Dubai, asks a related question to this, Mike, which is, are there any reasons that certain centers fail to improve? Why did they rest on their laurels? And you know, one of the points I'd make in the case of London has been, it has been driven by the academics and the discussions, which have, uh, as my, one of my early slides pointed out, uh, been extremely strong here in the city of London over decades. Uh, but as this trend has picked up, one needs to move. And, I, and I, I would point to two things. I mean, the first is something like 17 countries have issued green bonds of various forms, and the United Kingdom hasn't. So this is national support for finance in 17 nations. Uh, and not in the United Kingdom as yet. Uh, again, the, the, many of those green bonds, the early ones, are very marketing-led. Oh, we promise to use this money for green. Uh, some of the things are being talked about, for example, policy performance bonds. Uh, OMFIF, the Central Bankers Club, uh, published one of our papers on, on the importance potentially of policy performance bonds, bonds that are 
actually tied to a nation's performance against green targets. So if you stay net zero, you pay more interest along the 30 years if you don't achieve it in 2050. Um, so those are the sorts of areas one might look at. Another thing you might see in the United Kingdom is uh, some of the hypocrisy is sort of coming out. Uh, I think well over 100 local authorities out of 340 have announced climate emergencies. Well, that's great, but what are they going to do about it? And many of these climate emergencies, when pushed and pushed hard, uh, it's turned out that there is no credible plan under them uh, to achieve uh, what they claim that they're going to do. Uh, now, that's not a bad thing. I, I personally think it's great that the, the temperature is rising. And Lionel, to your to your point, really, it, it's moving so fast uh, over, you know, we've been, we've been studying this for four and a half years, publishing it now, this is our third year, into our third year, um, and it's moving so fast. And I think centers who sit there and say, I'm in the lead uh, and aren't moving and seeing what their next step is, will continue to be overtaken. And that's, I think, what this index shows. Thank you. Um, a question from Joe um, <coughs> Zamet Lucia asking, uh, did I miss it or do you have a combined quality depth rating as in previous reports? Uh, well, the answer is we have produced um, the combined rating as well in the full report. Um, it will be not surprising given the depth and quality um, answers to, to, to that you should know that uh, on that combined measure, if you add up the two ratings for depth and quality, uh, the leading three centres are Zurich, Amsterdam and London. Uh, San Francisco is the only one in the top 10, but do go and uh, find the report. It's live on the website um, and you can have a look at the combined quality uh, depth rating. Um, a question about, um, for, again from Bob McDowell, about green finance and how it shelters under the umbrella of ESG investment. Um, and there's this question of should, should we be able to distinguish more clearly what, what's green as opposed to what may be uh, social or you know, <coughs> good in terms of governance? Um, and I guess that you know, the certified green bond system is, is you know, one way in which that, that is done. But are there other ways, Michael, you think we ought to be distinguishing green from other forms of ESG uh, investment? Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting out there. If it, so long as these labels uh, persist as a kind of a group, you're basically saying, oh, uh, there's the minority over there and I'll pay obeisance to it and I'll get on with the mainstream. Um, so I think Bob's point is really how do we make it mainstream uh, and of course when it's mainstream it's not that ESG will go away I think Bob's probably right you might have a flavor of green you might have you know uh, you know a flavor e the environmental green uh, you might have a flavor of social and you might have a flavor of governance because various industries are different differentially exposed to the topics in each one of those three areas but I would like to see um, all of these terms in, in a nice way uh, kind of disappear or become less important or become diluted. Um, and that we, 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 everybody in finance, considering all three of those, as well as, of course, are you making money uh, on behalf of, of the people who invested with you? As, and all of that, I, I think, should be coming into the mix. And personally, I believe uh, we've had this debate in areas like the ACCA uh, that, you know, do, do you come at it with a, a shrill something has to be done, or do you work long and hard at trying to get rid of externalities and bring them into the system so that uh, one decision needs to be made about finance and the E, the S and the G issues follow with it. The truth is you have to do a bit of both, but I think you've got to be aware that the end goal really has to be full incorporation into the markets and financial decisions that people make on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, an example I, I, I love to give is that Americans drove 4% less uh, nine years ago. 
uh, and they did that because there was a 32% rise in the price of petrol. And that's, that, that exemplifies where we're headed. We need to incorporate the externalities in, get the prices right, and consumers will make the decision. They don't want to pick up every single product and go, well, this one's cheaper than that one. Here's the E factor. Here's the S factor. Here's the G factor. Oh, and by the way, on the E factor, here are five sub-E factors, uh, water footprint, uh, <laughs> et cetera. It's, it, they can't do it. We need to start binding these together into measures that allow that decision-making engine to work. Um, Vikas Agarwal asks about what our take is on municipalities raising finance on their own mm -hmm. using platforms like Abundance for uh, sustainability projects. And I was thinking we've um, actually done a recent piece of work um, under the headline uh, Nature Smart Cities, uh, which is aimed at local government in Europe and how what the financing options are available to them uh, to raise money uh, for green initiatives and, and uh, green uh, development in the city space. Um, and it's looking at non-traditional ways that local governments uh, could raise money. Um, and so I think that uh, there's a lot of people in um, in cities and localities um, who are looking really carefully about how they can uh, raise money uh, in, in non-traditional ways uh, using bonds or a mix of um, private uh, and, and public finance uh, to develop this. Uh, Michael, have you got any other take on this one? Well, I do, actually. I think this is an important point because it exemplifies the issue that we have uh, on top-down or bottom-up. And uh, a lot of people say, oh, it's got to be top-down. We need global agreements. Yeah, perhaps we do, um, but it's also got to be bottom-up. And as COVID-19 has shown, uh, many uh, when you want responses, local responses tend to be more informed. And so what we'd like to see uh, really is uh, the ability to make bottom-up decisions. Now that's problematic uh, given the way that the monetary system works. So in the United States, where there's a fairly vibrant and active municipal bond market, nevertheless, one has to accept that local local uh, authorities will from time to time make mistakes and therefore uh, potentially go bust. In the United Kingdom, I would point you back some 30 years to the Hammersmith and Fulham argument, which basically said there's no such thing as local lending. It's all really national. And that makes it extremely hard for local authorities in the United Kingdom to make local decisions that involve money. Uh, the purse strings are kept too tight. I think we're going to have to see this form of decentralization if we're going to achieve things at scale. We need to say that rather than having, you know, 170 or 180 nation states deciding everything centrally, we want to see tens and hundreds of thousands of local communities making sensible decisions, but some of those will get it wrong or some of those will be slightly corrupt. Uh, and we need to fix that rather than saying these decisions can only be made at a national governmental level. So uh, I, I think the platforms and all are fine, but, but the problem isn't technology, it's political will to allow groups of decisions to be made locally and therefore to attract the finance that is essential to come and implement them. Thank you very much. Um, we have a question about you know, whether there's evidence that New York is concerned about its low representation of the index in the US generally. Um, I, I doubt whether New York um, itself is terribly concerned uh, today about the announcement of its positioning in GDFI 6, uh, but there is evidence that it's um, trying to take action to address green finance in its financial system. Um, they joined last year the Financial Centers for Sustainability Network, which is an umbrella organization for financial centers um, who want to drive their sustainability 
Um, and certainly there are people in New York who are taking this very seriously in terms of um, looking at ways that green finance can be uh, you know, built into uh, some of the financial structures there. Um, I think that we've talked about sort of policy leadership being important in green finance, and you know, it's probably why uh, California um, is a, a leading center for green finance in the U.S. Um, you know, California was one of the first uh, places in the world where you know, pension funds for uh, municipal staff uh, were uh, only invested in green uh, green investment, um, and you know, where you get uh, public demand for sustainability combined with political uh, will to do something about it. That's where uh, we think uh, green finance really flourishes. Um, so that's my take on where the U.S. is at the moment. But New York certainly is taking action on green finance. Um, whether it's driven by uh, the Global Green Finance Index or by wider uh, concerns, um, I'll leave it up to others to judge. <laughs> I think I know the answer. <laughs> um, a question about biodiversity um, mm. from our friend Simon Mills. Um, you know, still rated as low as low importance as a factor um, by practitioners. Um, and just given what's happening, as we know about species extinction. Um, and you know, other ways in which we're failing to meet biodiversity targets under the SDGs. The question, what can be done to raise the profile of biodiversity investment amongst um, financial practitioners? Um, and Michael, have you got any thoughts about you know, how biodiversity links to the decisions of people in finance? Uh, I, I do, um, and they're, they're somewhat uncomfortable, I'm afraid. Uh, we did um, three studies uh, a while back on uh, finance and forestry, finance and water, and finance and biodiversity. And in the case of uh, in the case of forestry and water, we could see ways in which markets either were structured or could be slightly better structured to support uh, sustainability targets in both of those. Biodiversity was tough, and there was a big initiative uh, called TEEB, T-E-E-B, uh, I think it was about eight, nine years ago, uh, led uh, by uh, a group of people in the international sphere in the UN. The problem there was they were trying to put a cost on biodiversity, and I forget the number they came up with, 44 trillion or something. But the point is, the model is wrong. It implies that you can buy and sell biodiversity. Uh, and it's a bit like selling organs. Some organs are unique. So uh, Mike may may sell me his kidney, but he's not going to sell me his heart. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it, it's just, you can't pull these things out and, and put prices on them. I personally believe biodiversity is crucial, um, but it is one of those genuine common goods, and I think it needs to be treated in areas like uh, strong set-aside programs, that's work for the wetlands in Eastern America in particular, um, corridors, which have worked extremely well for elephants in India and Africa. Uh, we, we, we just need to set aside strong places of land. Uh, and, and I have long been, as many will know, a proponent of land value taxes, which forces us to use the land that we wish to use for residential and urban work more intensively and usefully and trying to keep areas for set aside. The problem for biodiversity basically it's got very little to do with finance, it's got to do with the remorseless growth in our population. Uh, there's every indication of hope that by 2050 that will start to reverse and population numbers will go down, but that is what is pressing on everyone. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't certain biodiversity projects that might be funded, but those will be funded really in line with a local government's local biodiversity goal. Um, and I'm not sure there's a 
global market for biodiversity that makes any sense in anything that I've seen. Okay. Uh, another question from Lionel Mock, um, just asking, first of all, how do we incorporate brown penalizing factors into a center's ranking? And essentially, uh, there's more to your question, Lionel, we'll come on to the other bits, but uh, essentially the instrumental factors, the quantitative data measures include a number of measures uh, which look at the um, you know, the, the number of uh, you know, green bond listings in, in those centers or those countries, uh, but also looks at the balance of um, you know, uh, of brown and um, uh, and green investment uh, in stock exchange. So some of the factors that we use uh, take account of um, the, the, <coughs> the brown finance. Um, in terms of the role of central banking, this is the other part of Lionel's question and the policy and regulatory frameworks. Um, you know, there are <clears throat> ways in which uh, central banks, um, through its prudential um, you know, systems of regulation of the banking system, uh, can require, for example, banks to ensure that they have stress tested um, their you know, systems and their capital requirements uh, against climate change risk, uh, as well as other things in terms of regulatory frameworks. The uh, particular thing that comes to mind is disclosure um, and the understanding um, that uh, more access to good data uh, about the, um, the, <clears throat> the effect of companies' business in terms of um, climate change and greenhouse gas emission and uh, carbon usage and so on um, will help to drive investment. So I think uh, for me, there's the kind of the role of central banks in the prudential banking system of driving the regulatory system um, and disclosure in particular as the uh, policy and regulatory framework. Uh, which makes a difference. Michael, is there anything you'd like to add to those? I, I think that the role of central banks uh, is important in, in this space, but arguably they've done quite a bit already uh, in terms of raising the issue. So um, when it, Lionel's also asking, could we expand more on the precise policy and regulatory frameworks on practitioners' minds? Highly varied. Um, th there are a number of local initiatives in uh, uh, Korea, uh, areas of China, Australia, on water, everybody's coming and they're, they're looking at what are the regulators looking at there. The financial regulatory sector is slightly different. It tends to be bound up largely in stress testing, um, but I, I think that the regulators might be doing some intriguing things. So, for example, the COVID-19 pandemic, and we have uh, four or five webinars in this subject, has forced people to look at things like a uh, an all risks reinsurance, perhaps run by the government. So taking examples that we have in flood insurance or uh, or in terrorism insurance and putting in a, a complete sort of all risks package for a nation. And that would vary depending on the nation. So Australia clearly has a drought problem. Areas of America do. Uh, we've got hurricane issues. So we've seen the use of reinsurance in the Caribbean uh, to help uh, work on early stages yet, uh, but, but to help work on hurricane risk. So I think some of these tools regulators can genuinely help to foster and central banks can help to foster. I might point out one particular initiative here in the UK after the pandemic, with, with which, to be honest, I'm a little bit involved, um, has been to consider whether or not insurance could create money in times of high stress under certain national risk classes. So a lot, a lot of creative thinking going on in this space. And I think the practitioners are quite right to keep an eye on it because if some of these come to pass, they will change a lot of our equations. 
Michael, thank you very much for that. And uh, uh, thank you to the audience uh, for being with us this morning. Uh, we are coming to a close. Um, just the time, as always, is uh, is beating us. Um, and we'll be uh, returning to the Green Finance Index uh, in April uh, 2021, uh, when we'll be publishing GGFI 7, um, and to see whether the trends we've noted in uh, the current edition continue. Um, it is always uh, really welcome for people to um, take part uh, in the debate about green finance by uh, rating financial centres through our survey. Uh, the link is here on the screen. Um, but you know, we do rely um, on engagement from uh, people working in green finance to ensure that uh, the index uh, really does reflect the views of people um, who know what's going on uh, out there in financial centres. So please do take a moment to fill in the survey and to share it with your friends uh, <laughs> if they have an interest and an involvement in green finance. Um, so it just remains for me to uh, thank Michael very much for his uh, time and support uh, of the Global Green Finance Index and indeed his support over many years uh, for green finance development, uh, which probably doesn't, he probably doesn't get thanked enough for it. So we'll, we'll thank him publicly today. <laughs> um, and to thank you all uh, for uh, participating this morning. You can find a copy of the full report on the website um, and we look forward to uh, hearing from you and seeing you again. Thank you very much. Thank you all. Great to see you here this morning.